0: hey, it's Maurice. Before we get started with this week's episode, I just want to thank you so much for listening to and supporting Revision Path. It really means a lot. As we approach our milestone 300th episode, we want to learn more about you. Please take our audience survey at revisionpath.com forward slash survey. It should take about five minutes to complete, and it will really help us out a lot for future episodes, future guests, events, and a lot more. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash survey. We'll also put a link in the show notes of this episode. Thank you. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, did you know that we are weeks away from Revision Path's 300th episode? I mean, we've been around now for a little over six years, and let me tell you, hitting 300 episodes is a huge milestone. We really want to do something special for this 300th episode, and I want to hear from you. Who do you think I should interview? Who do you think I should have as a guest? Who would you like for me to interview in the future? Uh, Drop me a line at mail at revisionpath.com and let me know. I know we just wrapped up our audience survey last month, but I'd really, really love to hear from you about what we should do for our 300th episode. We might actually already have a surprise or two in store for you, so you never know. Thanks, y'all. All right, now for this week's interview. We're talking to Kim Williams, Senior Design Director at Indeed. Let's start the show. All right, so tell
1: us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Kim Williams. I am a Senior Design Director working at Indeed, and I focus on bringing together our end-to-end uh Experiences. So I focus on our core capabilities such as brand systems, design systems, design engineering, strategy and inclusion, content, um, and really it's focused on how do we work horizontally across all of our business areas to offer a unified uh, product experience.
0: Now, indeed, of course, for people that are listing, it's a job site. It's a place where people can post jobs, find jobs, they can post their resumes, etc. Uh, it's interesting because those types of sites, I really don't, I don't think of design when I when I hear about them, um, and even I guess because of the way that they have to present information, it tends to be pretty sparse. So I'm curious to kind of know, aside from what you just mentioned, like what is a regular day like for you with your job at Indeed. Like the work that you do, I'm sure of course, you know, filters out into the end result, but what is a general
1: day like for you at Indeed? Yeah, that's a really great question and um because my team is so extraordinary. I have such an incredible leadership team, so many talented folks that I'm learning from every day. It's such an honor to serve them that i my day to day is honestly just looking to them in terms of making sure they have what they need to be successful that i'm removing any blockers from their way so my day to day looks like having syncs with those leadership team members and making sure that uh, I'm supporting their initiatives. and um and at the highest level, just keeping a consistent and cohesion vision for um for the work that we're doing. And so um so a lot of meetings, a lot of um, alignment between my leadership team. I spend a lot of time with our CEO. So, um, you know, Chris Himes, who's our CEO, our SVP of marketing. Uh, I I see a lot of the work that I do as being this master connector. Mm. Um, You know, I'm bringing amazing talent together. I'm connecting, bridge building, um, and leveraging relationships to help us define Um, what is unique about the way that we serve? So our focus is on how do we help job seekers find jobs? And to your point, as you look across the landscape, finding work is actually really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And websites, um, generally, it's all about the information. And and that's 100% right. We we want to make sure that our products simply work and work well and are effective and are removing the friction points around um, what it takes to get a job. And what my team is laser focused on is making sure that no one sees the seams of our organization in the product, which is so easy to do, um, to ship your org chart is what you know the expression is. Where you can, as you're clicking around, you can tell that it's not unified. And so that's our ambition, is for each of our individual um, teams to really come together as one body um, and be an end-to-end holistic experience. And so um, doing that, coordinating at that level, at that scale for hundreds of products, that are happening concurrently um, and leveraging a design system to bring people together. So there's a lot of what I do that I, again, is is all around like bringing everyone together, um, making sure that we're all aligned, that we also have a clear vision for where we want the product to go um, in the next, you know, three years, five years, ten years, working with our senior executive team and really understanding, articulating, and translating um, their vision as well. So um, so that's, in a nutshell, <laughs> I think most of what I do.
0: How many people uh, do you oversee?
1: Uh, my team in particular, uh, we're a little around 100. Wow. Yeah, you know, just a little over 100 people, yeah.
0: Now, with such a large team, I'm sure that's made up of like designers, of course. There's technologists, I'm sure. There's writers, et cetera. Um, are they mostly in the office with you, or this is a distributed? Team? This
1: is a distributed team. So we are actually headquartered in Austin, um, where we have about four different offices. in In that specific city, we have offices in San Francisco, Seattle. Tokyo, Singapore, and Vancouver. And so it has meant um, for us, how do you kind of tap into and celebrate the individual cultures that come with unique functions within the organization, as well as celebrating what naturally happens culturally at each different location, and sometimes even within each location, different floors and different teams operate slightly differently. And so, how do you celebrate those differences as well as mm-hmm. punctuate the commonalities to make sure that um, we have rituals, meetings, offsites? Um, things that keep us inspired and connected as a global body, as a global unit. And so I think about that a lot too, culture, the culture piece of it. The other point that you brought up was all of the varying roles. So I think about that as well too. What are the expertise and the special um, areas that we bring to the table that are adding to the toolbox um, that indeed has... um, for UX. And one of those is, for example, brand systems. So we have a creative director named Dave Wynn, who's um, extraordinary. I mean, he's just a beast. He's a master storyteller. Um, and so has basically built a whole function around world-class storytelling um, and visuals and, and and brand narrative so we can think about how does our brand show up how do we help and then we have um, for design engineering which is really really extraordinary what's been built here at Indeed that I think is pretty unique within our industry is that design engineering is about 40% of our overall um, UX team, and that's pretty extraordinary. It means we have design technologists that are helping to build out more future-forward solutions that we can test and de-risk so that we can increase our chances of shipping um some more progressive ideas and thoughts. We also have UX developers that are owning the quality of UI code and actually working um, hand in hand with engineering teams. And so that capability, that functionality is really extraordinary. And that's led by Eddie Liu, who's just brilliant and humble and, um, Let's see, other team members that are unique. Wayne Robbins just came over um, leading strategy and in inclusion. So again, thinking about that product vision and from an inclusion standpoint, how are we thinking about accessibility? What does it mean for making sure everyone has access to the tools necessary to finding a job? Um, thinking about um those in in different layers and that's a new team that's just started up and um yeah and and so from a ux platform perspective as well owning just all of the code and componentization of our design system so not only thinking about um the distribution of the culture and what that looks like globally also thinking about The functions, because even design engineering, they're unique in the sense that they unto themselves have their own kind of culture and vibe. Um, They have created their own mascot. It's like a unicorn symbol. Um, And then as they're embedded in different business units and business areas, they are partnered up with those teams and are also Really deeply connected with those teams, so it's interesting to see um, that model as well, where you have culture that's embedded and then culture that's horizontal. So it's it's really interesting to to think about um, culture with all of these nuances and how do you keep a healthy, happy, thriving team that that works and operates uh, together really well.
0: As you mentioned inclusion, but then also as you sort of listed the diversity in the types of positions and the people, how do you sort of keep that in mind when building teams?
1: It's so important. And I love talking about this and also living it. I think it it takes a great deal of effort. Uh, I think it speaks volumes that my team is one of the most diverse teams within Indeed because I go out of my way to bring on folks that are completely different. And when I think about diversity, it's not just within the context of demographics. Um, I do have a lot of women. There are a lot of women in leadership within my organization, um, a lot of people of color. Um, But beyond demographics, there's also diversity, uh, different walks of life, different um, perspectives that are so important um, different age groups, so to be in tech and to have some older um folks, I hate to to put it that way, but I mean, usually you go to tech companies and there're just so many young people, mm-hmm. and no one's thinking about um you know visual impairment needs or audio challenges. so I mean, there's just diversity comes in all different spectrums, and I think. In order to build diverse teams, you have to be so intentional um, and think about how folks fit together. So in addition to hiring for the talent and the specialization and skills that complement and will um, up-level the team that you're building, you also have to consider a personality you know so for me it's really important i'm a, a servant leader type and it's important to me that i bring on folks that are humble as well so it's it's really important to me and i think that that is i i think what makes my team such an all-star team everybody's brilliant but everyone's also incredibly humble and so that balance of ability and skill with raw emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if you don't have the emotional intelligence piece of it, that you have the humility that if someone gives you feedback, you're open to that feedback. And I hire folks that are more brilliant than I am in their respective areas. Um, i you know, we'll never know as much as Eddie knows about design engineering, um, for example. So what happens with a dynamic of hiring people that are so capable, I trust them implicitly to do their work. And it becomes a really great environment where I'm learning as much as I'm offering to. It's a give and a take
2: mm-hmm.
1: um between the team. And so there's mutual respect in that kind of environment. So I think we respect each other because we know that um, we all are experts in our respective area. And I I trust my team and it is it's an just like I, I keep saying it, it's an it's an honor to serve them. And so I think that that has been a huge uh, a huge part of why we've been able to come together and be so different. It's funny, I have at the top of our weekly meetings, we have our personality profiles. And um, mine is like a campaigner, I think. And I'm the only one like me in my leadership team. And it, it makes perfect sense to me. I'm the one that brings everybody together. Um, and um, and I, I see that as my role. Now, there's a word that
0: you said that before we were recording. You mentioned that uh, you're at a very sort of transformative stage right now. And, of course, as I did my research, I looked at Indeed. I saw that there's an actual website for the design at Indeed called indeed.design which also says that this is a transformative moment. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, about what is so transformative that's happening at
1: Indeed right now? I think, you know, for us, it it has been the investment in UX. Um, when I joined, you know, two years ago, just to see the tremendous investment that has been placed in this area and, and how um, the company is, placing a focus on being thoughtful about who we are as a company and how we want to show up in the world for job seekers and employers. So much of the work that we do is is about making sure that everyone has access and, and not just for the 1%, but rather for the 99%. And Really thinking through the people that really need work and really need jobs. And when you talk directly to folks that are looking for work, you know, in our usability studies, in our labs, when we meet with folks, it's very clear that search and searching for a job is not a um, linear process. It's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly hard. and. How do we, you know, show up in the moments that are difficult? How do we show up in the moments that are celebratory? So I think that there's this really unique opportunity for us to um, build products that are even more attuned, even more in tune with what folks need right when they need it to make sure that they're able to get work um, and find that next step. And that finding that next step is simple, it's fast, it doesn't take too long, it's comprehensive, they're able to see everything that is out there for them, how do I find out what's possible, and then more importantly, relevant. So I think the transformative moment is, how do we help folks quickly find what they need in a personal way? Um, So that's, and we've always... Put our job seekers first. It's in the fabric of the company. We help people get jobs. That's our mission. It's literally everywhere. It's on the walls, on T-shirts, on um, it's it's a purpose-driven company, and we take it very seriously. And and that passion and fire for the mission has always been there and always been focused on the user. Um, But what you've seen is, or what we've seen in the last few years with the investment in UX. Now we have user research labs and we have PM and engineering and product teams and business teams meeting with users uh, in a more regular cadence and an, an attunement is happening where we're being more lock and step with our users' needs and being more responsive to them. And I think in that way, um, allowing our product to be more human and be more personal.
0: Nice. I I like that you have given so much thought to all of this. I mean, it, it's interesting because you know you'll I'll talk to companies. I've talked to dozens of companies through doing interviews here, and I think this is the first time I've really heard such deep, thoughtful, impactful type of, uh, I guess, just ideas behind the design. Of your product. I, I wish more companies kind of, you know, took the lead on that because it certainly, I think is reflected in the end product. So it's good that you are, are really taking those things into consideration. When you, when you look back at your career, I mean, you're a design director right now. We'll go back to your early career because I'm curious to kind of what the, the starting points were to get you to where you are now. But when you look back at all of this to where you are now, what do you wish you would have known? When you first got started.
1: It all began (laughs) that I'm actually, I was born in Jamaica and um, I came to this country when I was only seven years old with my family. And, you know, I remember what it was like, you know, like it was yesterday um, coming in and having a heavy accent and being just different in every way, you know, um, not understanding, not picking up on colloquialisms or just, you know, just really feeling like an outsider um, and and also, yeah, just, Seeing what my parents had to go through, you know, in their country, in their home country, they had master's degrees. Uh, they were degree,d and mm. coming to America, those degrees weren't recognized. So, with a family of three, both of my parents went back to school. You know, Howard University, in the eighties, uh, to get master's degrees again for the second time to prove themselves. And during that period, um, taking jobs that were lesser titles and lesser stations and what they had, um, in, in Jamaica and just seeing that struggle, you know, seeing that hard work. And, um, again, so that like ties into my passion for work too. I think, you know, I, I was, I fit the bill of that stereotype of always having 10 jobs myself. Like Mm -hmm. I always had like all of these different odd jobs um, along the way in my journey. And just back to the point of being different, being other, never being Jamaican enough for the Jamaican crew in high school, you know, later on, never being American enough, Uh, just always being different and getting to the point of Embracing that difference, celebrating that difference, owning it, and always being in the place of understanding that um, that there's always another perspective, that there's not one right way or wrong way. There's multiple ways, and just really, really embracing that. And then fast forward into my career, starting out. And cutting my teeth in advertising and PR as a woman and a woman of color. And then, you know, fast forward to tech, being in Silicon Valley and what it means to lead in this context, in this space. And again, just always knowing that a part of my role is also like being different and being in a position that is about giving others that are different access and people that have needs have access. And mm-hmm. But then I think back to the question of like, what is it that I wish that I knew going into this is I wish that I had known or had embraced my otherness as my superpower because that's what it is that I can see from all of these different vantage points. I can connect dots that otherwise might not have been connected because I come from the place of embracing different. And also I wish I had known that other was my superpower from the standpoint of when you're different, when you are the change agent, when you are the catalyst, the burden of proof is always on you to, to really bring others along, to help mm-hmm. impart um, wisdom to, to be a, you know that light. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but that experience of otherness has taught me that um, the burden of proof is on, is on us um, to find ways to effectively communicate really gnarly things, sometimes really hard things, sometimes really difficult things, but that there is nothing too complex that we can't discuss, that we can't find a resolution around, that I can't, help you understand in some way. And that I think that, yeah, that's what I wish I had known (laughs) from the beginning, that, that otherness was my superpower from a place of ultimate empathy and Mm. also from a place of being a catalyst. And that's what it takes to bring large companies, large teams, large global Mm -hmm. moving movements together. Um, It takes owning who you are as a catalyst.
0: Now let's go back to kind of your, your early days. And then you mentioned you, you grew up in Jamaica and then you moved here to the States. Was creativity kind of always a big part of your childhood growing up? It was, it was,
1: I think um, it was, I think I had, creative siblings. My, my brother is, um, an artist, you know, he teaches, he has, you know, he teaches graduate, um, graduate art history and art programs. Um, so early on, I saw him sketching, I saw him painting. I was like immersed in his creative world. And so, um, and to this day, Chris is an incredible, um source for me he's always he has this thing called smoke school where every Friday he assigns homework and the homework is so great because you always learn about new um whether it's new periods of art or new artists mm-hmm. just the dialogue is always stratospheric. Um you know I learned about like Maya Lynn through him and and I learned about um wabi sabi as a f- like a philosophy, uh, so it's just so I was fortunate enough to have siblings that were really, really creative. My brother, um, being the first, my sister being a photographer, um, and uh, and then also seeing. Uh, the previous generation, my uncle, um, sang and was an architect. So, um, so yeah, it, it, having some of that experience was helpful. Mm -hmm. And also it was hard because I grew up in a West Indian household and, (laughs) you know, if you're not a doctor or a lawyer, um, (laughs) you're, it, it's not, you know, it's not you know, praised or celebrated. So um, it was it was difficult um, to to own it and say, "Nope, this is what I'm doing, and it'll work out." I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now,
0: you attended Andrews University. When you graduated from there, what were kind of those first few jobs in your career like? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um yeah the beginnings were really interesting so I let's see my first um in Andrews University it was like a small denominational college in southern Michigan and what I did love about it and still am so grateful for is because of the small student-teacher ratio I had real relationships with my teachers. So Mark Cook is an incredible mm-hmm. creative leader, and we still chat to the till this day. You know, we still send each other notes every now and then. Um, and I had like my teacher's cell phone numbers and and I'm still connected to them. And not a lot of people can say that. so i'm I'm grateful to have had that experience. And early days, my first gig, I'll never forget was for a catalog, basically a um, a massive 900 page wow. catalog for, for RV parts and accessories. For, for RV parts? <laughs> and accessories. Oh, the,
0: and accessories, 900 pages. It has to
1: be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the accessories, right. And so the thing about this was, they hired me as a print Mm -hmm. production artist and they're like, Kim, we don't need you to design anything. We just need you to get everything ready for press. And of course I redesigned the whole catalog. All 900 pages. (laughs) Yeah, Like I created new templates. I just like completely changed everything. And they're like, Kim, we just need you to be a print production designer. But once I redesigned everything, um, I had increased the revenue of this catalog because my layout allowed for a feature Mm ad as you were transitioning from one chapter to the next that increased the profitability of the catalog. And so it was like my very first taste of good design is good business. And from there, I was hooked. I was like, oh, this is cool. (laughs) That even in a print piece, I, I could change the business. Uh, it was it was really
0: awesome. Now you've worked with a lot of big tech companies, of course. Indeed, uh, before Indeed, you worked at eBay for a while, and you've also spent time working in agencies, most notably at uh, Ogilvy and Mather as an associate creative director. How are those experiences different? How is it different from agency life to I, wanna, I don't want to say startup life, but like you're doing UX in a tech company? How are those? How are those uh, experiences different?
1: Agency life is is really great to get your to introduce you to the work field from the standpoint of just like the sheer volume mm-hmm. and the speed at which you have to perform and perform at a high level. It's like a super competitive and b. Um you just have to be on point all the time I think it's it's good work ethic I think it's 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 good, but then you're the challenge there is you're always context switching <laughs> so and you you end up working on something, kind of loving it, getting invested, and then you kind of have to give your baby away you know you you kind of like you know toss it over the fence, you don't know what happens, you don't know how it gets implemented it you're not mm-hmm. a part of its shipping you're not a part of it so that's what I noticed like agency life you don't really get a chance to go deep to solve the real challenges yeah and then when you're in-house like it, it the variety of the work looks different you know agency life the variety is you're switching between different clients in-house it's your the scope and scale of the work is varying day to day. Yeah, and so it's a different kind of variety or solving different problems. But I love the fact that I get to go deep and be in the trenches, and um, you know, I, I get a deeper sense of fulfillment. I also, yeah, with the agency life, you can't choose your clients. With my career, I have been intentional with the brands that I serve because they're brands that I believe in, that I care about, that I'm invested in. Um, and that makes a really big difference in quality of life. Mm. Now,
0: you recently got back from Munich. Uh, this is part of the design exchange program within Vision. I saw, saw a couple of pictures from there. Actually, I think one of the people who you were on the trip with Ah, uh, Benjamin Earl Evans. Yes. Ah, uh, we we profiled him this year in Twenty Eight Days of the Web. I was like, oh, he looks familiar, I, I, and I was trying to place where, and then I realized I saw you two in a picture, like a group photo together.
1: He's amazing. I love Benjamin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What was that design exchange uh, program like? Was that your first time
1: at Munich? That was my first time. And that was the pilot of this program. So we were some guinea pigs for Envision. But let me tell you how much I love Envision for programs like this. I mean, what they have done for the design community is extraordinary. And this program is I'd never experienced anything like it. So essentially, you take a a group of product designers. um, We happened to be in the Bay Area, I think one from Atlanta. And we met for the very first time in Munich. And while we were in Munich, we got a chance to meet other designers get immersed in their design community, immersed in their world, share notes, um, really commiserate with each other, and then also just have experiences. Like sometimes you get, as a design leader, like I get so caught up sometimes in the day-to-day and serving my team. It was really, really um, humbling to have a whole team of people that had curated These events and these moments for us that we could experience and be creative in, um, another country. And the, the best part, I, this, I mean, there are many best parts because like (laughs) we started out as strangers. And I don't know how this happened, but at the end of the week, we were family, like we were like crying like <laughs> babies separating when it was time to go. I'm not even kidding like we there were so many tissue boxes everywhere we were just bawling, like Benjamin is a brother to me, like we still have brunch, we still talk all the time and text like it's really extraordinary um but one of the the big moments uh of that trip, the highlights for me was this point where we went to this um, painting studio, and it's the painting studio was called layer cake. and the way that it worked, there were all of these different canvases out like on the like on this table, and we were mm-hmm. making a painting together and that sounds really easy and fun, but honestly, when you when you have like highly capable, creative people making something together. (laughs) It's actually, the first five to eight minutes, we were so excited. We're like, oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) It's like, we're so busy with like our Jira tickets and, and like our day to day and product design that we hadn't uh-huh. painted like this in like a long time. So all this like, <laughs> pent up creative energy came out, and like the first eight minutes, we're like, "Oh my god!" And then it progresses, and we're like, "Oh, you know, you start putting some marks down." And you start getting into your rhythm and you start falling in love with (laughs) some of the things that you put down. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. Somebody else just marked on top of something that I put down. And like (laughs) now you're like having your ego conversation. And what does it mean to really be free and fluid with other people? Um, Because the whole thing is like it's not about one layer. It's about all of these layers coming together and everybody's putting down layers. And so the sheer discomfort <laughs> as the evening progressed, you know, <laughs> cause this is like basically like five hours of painting, but w- I think we were pretty spent within like the first hour. <laughs> and then, like The other hours were like practically grueling to see how people were trying to like control themselves. Like, when do I lean in? When do I lean back as leader? How do I contribute? And how do I, you know, like, I remember moments where there was so much color. And I'd be like, okay, let's get some white out here. And then, like, somebody would come <laughs> with, like, a bucket of white. <laughs> and I'd be like, whoa, that's way too much white. But, like, like really, really, what it was about was letting go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, just really, really, really letting go. And, and um and that's easier said than done and to let go with other yeah capable creative people was just a really transformative experience for me i can't i like as a leader it taught me about the edges of that I, like i was picking up on everybody how stressed out everybody was getting and and how do i like make everybody still feel cool about this but like walking away we all felt like it didn't come together and it wasn't good but when they surprised us with the paintings at the end of the week and we saw them they were extraordinary paintings and it was really good work um but that's because like yeah we really really did let go we Introduced new techniques. We were moving so fast that the paint didn't have time to dry, and we were bringing out like a blow dryer. And the blow dryer introduced a new technique that the artists mm-hmm. hadn't—they themselves hadn't used. So, like, um, yeah, it was just—it was just extraordinary. I feel like I'm droning on about this experience, but it was—it was life changing. It was—it was, it was really, really game changing for me to. Experience another city with other designers to create with them and to have all of these shared moments with these brilliant designers. It's just, there's nothing like it. Hmm.
0: What are you most excited about at the moment?
1: Oh.
0: It Does, doesn't have to be work-related. It can be anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what am I most excited about? Um, my daughter is out of her diapers. <laughs> okay. um, let's see now. Let's see. What am I most excited about? Um, I mean, that is something to celebrate, to have a toddler that's really autonomous with the potty is really helpful. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, what am I most excited about? Um yeah, I think just like looking ahead, looking at the year ahead, I'm just super stoked, again, like always humbled about the team that I get to work with every day. I think you know they could be anywhere in the world and they choose to show up to join me in in an important mission, and I'm entirely grateful and I'm really excited about the year ahead. I'm super pumped about um, the work that we'll be doing to continue to simplify our experience and make it faster for folks to quickly find what they're looking for and um, and to really tailor our experience to our users. I yeah, I'm most excited about continuing to do the work with such an an extraordinary team. Are you satisfied creatively? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> that's so good. Well, it's such a good one because I love how John Maeda talks about this, that there's a point in your career, and I've done this too, where you go from making, being a maker, to being a talker. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's funny because when you do make that shift, amongst the talkers that you're with, um, they think of you as a maker. Um, But you know you're a talker. And in the context of your team, they're like, you're definitely a talker, not a maker. Uh, So it's really interesting. It's really interesting. I still do design, um, not as often as I used to. And and so, what it has meant is that I'm designing spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm, I'm designing <laughs> culture. I'm designing how people come together. I'm designing mm-hmm. the words that we use that we align around. So, design looks different for me. But how I stay inspired, and, um, and grounded. You know, that is the piece, like, who am I creatively outside of work is what's then important because what, like, I think that I'm creatively solving problems day to day and that's how I'm expressing my creativ- creativity as a leader, um, but because I'm not making as much um, tangibly at work, it has met that I've found ways to make things outside of work, um, such as this like chalkboard wall that I have at my house that I've been working on for ages. And every now and then I just add a little bit more to it. Um, <laughs> and um, immersing myself in the greater like art culture. So museums and studio visits, connecting with other artists and feeding my Creativity that way, and learning new things um, that way, and then also even with my team. So we have offsites to, for example, the clay shop um, to, you know, work with our hands, or the team will do watercolor, you know, at design lunch, you know, so painting or sketching, just other ways to. Embrace creativity, especially as a leader. I think it's so important to be full ourselves um, so that Mm -hmm. we always have something to give. Um, I'm the type of person that even if my well is dry, I will find something to give my team. But (laughs) you never want to burn out. And so it's so important to make sure that we ourselves are Mm -hmm. full.
0: Now, Kim, you have... So many deep thoughts around design. I'm curious to know, where do you see design going in the future?
1: I'm going to take it from the lens of future of the role of design and how we think about what we do. And I, I think the future of the role of designers is one, you know, being more resilient and being more, having more grit. And what I mean by that specifically is not being precious about one solution, but really being precious about the problems, falling in love with the problems and not being precious about the solutions. I think historically, like, you know, I hate to, you know, say it. Like back in my time of like visual communications, <laughs> you know, it was all about the uh-huh. idea or the like the solution. And I think to really be future forward, we have to be resilient and fall in love with the problems and not the solutions. And I think also. The future of design is really inclusive. So I think we have to think from all of these different vantage points, I think we have to think about the fact that data is never neutral. It's always how ha- how it's being interpreted and and, you know, who gets excluded in the ones and the zeros. And I think, you know, being much more thoughtful, and being much more responsible for the choices that we make as designers in this industry. Um, I think that that has to be the future, both the resiliency piece and our responsibility um, with the choices that we make.
0: Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Where where do you want to work or what kind of work do you want to be doing? What's next for you?
1: I mean, I guess I've just been having so much fun and so heads down with loving this existing problem of how do you help people find work, mm-hmm. knowing that like getting a job is really, really hard. Um, this is a gnarly problem that I'm really excited about and um, that I've been so focused on this that I have not considered what other problems I might be interested in solving. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe healthcare, you know, that's also a really gnarly problem. Um, But I would say for right now, I think um, work matters a lot to me. I, I share this with a lot of folks that before I joined Indeed, and even to this day, I've always been that person within my community where folks will say, hey, can you check out my resume for for me? And I've literally designed, you know, over 30-plus resumes, probably 40-plus resumes, and folks come to me for career advice. You know, I think about um, how people in Jamaica are thinking about, like how my family members are thinking about work. I think about... Mm-hmm. Our global footprint about work, so i I think work is one of these things that it's like it's so tied to our identity for some people. it's tied to pride. can I provide for my family? It's such like a a cornerstone of human experience like the job i think like even stone ages you know hunting gathering like even like roles and what we do i think it's just such a fascinating thing how we think about work that um i can see myself in this space for a while (laughs) so for people that are listening to this
0: and maybe they're just in-house designers they want to be where you are, like they want to follow your trajectory to get there. What would you recommend to someone that wants to do that,
1: that has that advice? I would say always be hungry and learn from your team members. That's, you know, the posture that I always took a posture of always learning. Also, whenever anything's ever assigned to you, your manager gives you work, doesn't matter what level you're at, always meet the need first that they have asked you for explicitly and add value. Um, You know, so I I would think about that. Um, And then I was a super, like a power user of Indeed before I joined Indeed and that's because i used it in a really funny way probably um for others but i literally would i would search for the next title up and i would read the job descriptions because whatever <clears throat> level i was at i wanted to be performing at the next level
2: mm.
1: and i wanted to know what opportunities were out there for the next level yeah and and so I always had my eye on the next level and performing at that next level currently. You know what I mean? So I always had that ambition and that work ethic in that sense. But more than anything, I would say, be really, really humble and... um be the kind of person you would want to work with um, and be the kind of person that brings people together. Um, and it doesn't mean that you have to be an extrovert. I don't even consider myself a proper extrovert. You know, i I shut down in the evenings and on the weekends, you know, um, because I am so expensive, expansive at work. so, you don't have to be an introvert or an extrovert um, to succeed. you know it it really you know, I think I've just been really fortunate enough to um, to have really, really great mentors and and sponsors in my career that um, saw me and and put me in positions. And situations that I didn't know I was ready for put me in rooms that I didn't know I belonged in. And they did that because I was always providing value to them. And so I would say, doesn't matter where you are right now, what level you're at, Mm -hmm. whoever you're directly reporting into right now, what is it that they need? How are you? Um, not just delivering and meeting what they need, but exceeding their expectations by adding value, adding your point of view. And and then the last thing I would say is, don't be afraid to find your voice. I think it's only recently that I found my voice. You know, I, I think I've always had it. Um, but a comfort level with my voice, a comfort level with my point of view and and feeling that, as I'm sharing it, someone else will find value in in me sharing it, because it's all a human experience, and um but yeah, it did take me a while to be comfortable with sharing my voice and sharing my point of view and having confidence in that.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Yeah, so
1: I <laughs> am on Twitter. So I'm at Kim WMS with an underscore. <laughs> that being said, I don't tweet that often, but I am there. Um, and yeah, that's, I guess that's the primary location um, for you to find me also on LinkedIn. Um, those are kind of my two social platforms.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, Kim Williams, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. My goodness, this conversation was really deep and dense. I really liked though that we took like a real deep dive into these things, especially talking about teams and how, you know, design impacts business and everything. I can really, really tell that this is something that means a lot to you, not just as an employee. Like it's a personal thing for you. I really feel that. And hopefully uh, people will get inspired by that. They'll learn more about Indeed. They'll learn more about you. And uh, they'll, you know, just take it from there, I guess. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Thoughts of love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Kim Williams and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Kim and her work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Deanna Testa and edited by Keisha TK Dutez. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. And if you like this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't take that long to do, maybe about a minute or so to do, and it really, really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on social media as well, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, I will see you next time!